if you knew that Venus was going to set over Saturn in the Sagittarius quadrant, then you would have known that Bitcoin was going to fall, Mike. Get your shit together, son. Duh. He doesn't know that. Unbelievable. Welcome to the Crypto Basic Podcast. This is Friday Flagship number 36 coming at you from your favorite podcasting platform on Friday, September the 7th, 2018. My name is Michael Lockie, and I'm joined today for this discussion with Brent Philbin. Hey, what's up, everybody? And Kareem Baruke. Konnichiwa. For those of you that are unfamiliar with the Friday Flagship, this is our weekly discussion on current events, news, and other nonsense that gets tossed around in this cryptocurrency space. Brent, let's get started off with a couple announcements. What do you got? Well, the first thing is we uh, we dropped the ball for drawing the winner of the contest. Kareem won the portfolio contest. Mike lost. And I've been doing fantasy football drafts for two days straight just like crazy. So I, we forgot. So it'll be on <laughs> next week's flagship episode. <laughs> Sorry about that. I'm actually at Kareem's house, literally like r- rolled out of where I was staying, got the Kareem's house, and you may even hear some echo because we didn't set up our audio equipment right. <laughs> I do hear a tiny bit of echo now that you're at full volume, but you know we're going to work through it. Um, for those of you that are following with the portfolio competition, um, I was the loser. We have not yet chosen a punishment for me yet, so if you have any reasonable ideas, uh, feel free to submit them. Yeah, let's embarrass Mike. Let's do it. It's going to be hard to do. Just a heads up. I don't know uh, that if it, you're interested in something embarrassing. It's not that it's hard to embarrass me. YouTube. I just don't care that. Like I just accept it. Like I I messed up. I was the worst. <laughs> I knew what I was getting into. So I'm just going to do it as quickly as possible and just move on. All right. You're you're, you're the type of guy that rips the bandaid, huh, Mike? Yeah. Let's really? not mess around. Just yeah. <laughs> yes, you're 100 percent right. Bandaid off. Let's go. I did have some statistics we could talk about about the portfolio. I don't know if we would want to do that this week or next, but uh, let's save like, all the portfolio like I, stuff I for next down week. Some of the, let's right. do a better recap next week. We can start an outline and make sure Hold we include that right away. As a teaser, we should at least mention one statistic. Okay, so what percentage of us got first place? <laughs> one third. <laughs> nice. Nice. <laughs> It's a great percentage. It's the best percentage. I'm in the top 33%. That's all I care about, boys. That's why it's a weighted scale, crib. Uh, all right, let's move on to so, some news. Wait, I have one more announcement. Or not. If you haven't seen it, there was some ridiculousness on YouTube last week that I got a hold of a green screen and uh, decided, that based on our discussion at the end of the episode, I was going to make my rendition of what I believed a crypto youtuber who reads coin market cap is like so go check that out on youtube i have not seen that yet it's but i'm very interested to see how that turns out <laughs> uh, kareem i sent it or no he got a notification he was telling me this he got a notification that we had a youtube upload because we're the only person he subscribed to <laughs> and he was like wait what and he goes and looks at it and it took him a few minutes to figure out like what i was even doing <laughs> I was barricading my door to help the sound, but yes, <laughs> I could still hear everything you were saying because I was next to the door. <laughs> yeah, I actually enjoyed the video quite a bit. Uh, <laughs> I haven't seen it yet, but I saw it get uploaded, so I'm, I'm going to give it a chance whenever I'm uh, heading into work today. <laughs> uh, it's, it's worth a watch. 
it's too long. I should have like edited it or truncated it. I literally just fired up and went because I was most I was taking the opportunity to test out the green screen. But hey, if we get good feedback, maybe I'll make and a concerted effort to have a character. It's okay. You, yes, you're a young artist experimenting. It's good. It's good. <laughs> it reminds me of uh, what was it? Was it Bill Filmaf or what was your uh, <laughs> poker character, Brent? Well, Bill Filmaf is the one that I kind of based that one thing that you I did, did a off parody of, of Bill Filmaf, right? Yeah, I did like a combination Bill Filmaf and like online poker grinder recorder. <laughs> yeah, but what was that, his name? That guy, Tough Fish. Tough fish. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> T-U-F-F um, underscore F-I-S-H. I called it Phil Carlson. Phil Carlson, yep. <laughs> so high quality trolling in the poker world. I loved it. Doyle Brunson makes calls like these. I still remember that. <laughs> 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 but anyway, let, let's move on to something that somebody other than the three of us can appreciate. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, so Kareem, it seems sorry, as though y'all. we have a new commissioner joining the SEC. Uh, what do you think that means for the crypto space? Yeah, so um, sure enough, Trump has appointed another SEC commissioner. And if you are looking at this from a cryptocurrency perspective, there's actually a very uh, good appointment. So his name is Elad Roisman. He's a Republican from Maine. Uh, he's the fourth uh, appointment to the SEC. Uh, yeah, go ahead, Mike. No, I was wondering uh, how many people are in the SEC. That was something I didn't know when I was... Yeah, so it's basically it's supposed to be a panel of five. Essentially, you have a commission. I think it's a chairman and four commissioners. So, and it's a rotating panel. And we did a story a couple of weeks ago, if you guys remember, about Hester Pierce, who was the dissenting vote. She was one of the commissioners that, when they ruled against the Bitcoin ETF, she was the one basically saying, "I don't really agree with this. I don't think it's our place to block these kinds of things. We just need to make sure the investors have." the right information. Well, this guy comes from a similar background. Like when he was working in Congress, he was at the uh, Senate Banking Committee and he was working to kind of roll back financial regulation, which obviously has its ups and minuses, but specifically here from a cryptocurrency angle, it sets it up so that the new balance of power in the SEC makes it very, very likely that the next uh, request for ETF, which right now is, I think, uh, an ETF called... Solid X. Um, anyway, it makes it very likely that they're going to vote in favor. So the balance of power has shifted. Think of it of like a mini Supreme Court, right? The next decision is going to be coming up. And now we have very uh, free market hands off uh, people on the SEC. So we should see some progress. All right. Making America great again, one SEC appointment at a time. Let's go. Let's do it. You know, this changes my opinion. Pro Trump now. <laughs> Glad to hear, Brent. Did you did you say uh, how long it's going to take for them to re-rule on this, or what, is there another voting coming up? So basically, they're not really re-ruling because the previous ruling was for a specific application that came from the Winklevoss twins. That was the one that they were doing. So now this is a different one, which I think is expected to be ruled in the next like six months or something like that. I I think maybe though somebody said like March. Of next year. Uh, but again, it just does seem to be headed in the direction of like, okay, we're probably going to get approval. Especially because uh, from what this person was describing in the article, which was kind of interesting, the original vote went two to one and the chairman ended up voting with the majority, even though his personal opinion was more to approve. But they were basically explaining that 
a two to two vote would be really bad because it triggers like all these gridlock and it tends to go down party lines. So sometimes for the chairman, it might be more efficient to just vote with the majority to kind of like keep things going and get a better approval. And they're saying that his vote is very likely to swing next time around. Now that there's going to be two yes votes uh, to approve, then he will swing over and vote as well and have a three to one majority. So that's such a, it's one of those weird things in U.S. politics, right? Where like it makes sense for him to vote against his values because of some political machinations. I, that's whatever. That, what? But uh, and I just want to point out, good, by the way, there that it's two two. There should be five people, but there's only four commissioners right now. I don't know why, but he wouldn't have been in that position if they were fully staffed. Hmm. Ah, you know what I'm saying? Because it could be a two two vote where he could be the tiebreaker. Oh, so it'd be two one going into him. You said there's only four people right now? Right. Okay, so it's supposed to be five votes, but there are only four serving. So when we had two no votes and one yes vote, oh. if he voted yes to approve, we would have been at a 2-2 gridlock. And so now this ch- new person brings it up to five, or is it at four now? No, this person's replace, replacing one, so apparently it's still at four, but hmm. now it's replacing one of the – it's switching one of the votes from no to approve to yes to approve. I mean, I'm very confused why a panel of five people are allowed to vote with four people. Uh, <laughs> well, right? No. Like, I guess they have to. Yeah, no. Think about it like the Supreme Court, though, Mike. Right? It's it's you need to go through an appointment process to get somebody in there. So if we lost the Supreme Court justice, the Supreme Court can't just come to a halt, and you don't just throw somebody in there in the meantime. So you just have to rule with less people. Hmm. I don't know. I guess like it just makes sense from. You know, a presidential or a congressman standpoint that like, the, do these people serve terms and are these terms a certain amount of time? Are they if they're just appointed by the president, then I would imagine there's probably not any real. Um, yeah, but some appointments require confirmations and some don't. I believe SEC commissioner does require Senate confirmation. So, yes, the president appoints them and now you have to go through this whole process. Okay. I always like digging a little deeper just to figure out all the moving parts behind the scenes. Yeah, yeah. No, it's interesting. So this next article, uh, we, we found an article on TechCrunch um, that suggests that the U.S. is is moving a little too slowly regarding crypto regulations. Uh, how did you feel about this, Kareem? Yeah, it was an interesting read. I, I definitely thought they made some interesting points. It was basically a TechCrunch conference in San Francisco where they were talking um, the founder of TechCrunch Who's all, who also runs a big cryptocurrency fund, uh, investment fund, and the CEO of Ripple, whose name is Brad Garlinghouse. And they were basically saying, like, this is a direct quote, Americans' reluctance to regulate crypto is costing the country on startups and potentially the future of technology. We have a few good U.S. investments. This is the guy who runs the investment group. But 80 to 90% of our investments are in Asia, Europe, and Israel right now because they're actually countries where there's enough regulatory certainty that entrepreneurs feel safe starting token or blockchain companies. And he finally says that there's so much regulatory uncertainty in the United States. And then on top of that, the visa burden and that there's a negative attitude towards immigration in the country right now. And a lot of startups are just like, fuck it. That's one of his quotes. Fuck it. And they're staying in Singapore or Israel or Europe. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) And, you know, just basically saying that this is really going to hurt us. And I think that the best point that they made, which was really interesting, is that 
look at how much America has benefited, and this time actually even citizens, from the fact that the internet developed in a very US-centric way. If we think about the internet, it really is like, it really evolved around uh, an American culture. And I think that as an American, you feel at home in the internet, the majority of websites are in your language, whatever, right? And I think the point that they're trying to make here is it's because we were really open to innovation and didn't get in the internet's way. And if we get in blockchain's way and these other countries don't, 15, 20 years down the, lo- the line, maybe the blockchain ecosystems are much more China dominated or Europe or Israel or Singapore, whatever. Malta, baby. Malta, my man. So when, when I was reading your outline here, um, I really paused at your part about the internet um, being bur- – the internet like – driving the through America and or however you worded that and it really like caused me to pause because I really don't travel international very often and I don't really understand like like what that means I don't understand like what that opinion is derived from or, or what that truly like comes from yeah th- then that's actually part of the beauty of it Mike like the internet seems like an extension of your world and your environment because it's so prevalent online so Like culturally, YouTube is mostly still driven by American culture. Facebook, you know, has like, uh, like any, anything that you consider big on the internet, even, you know, Twitter, a lot of the big social media companies, uh, most of the major dot com companies are also based in the United States and they're staffed by Silicon Valley. Silicon Valley, exactly. So. There are many subtle and indirect ways. So let's say that you, for example, grew up in Colombia or you grew up in India or you grew up in China. Well, China is a bad example because of the firewall, but you grew up somewhere where you had (laughs) access to the open internet. A lot of your internet surfing would be adjustment to American culture and learning about American culture because your culture is not as reflected in the internet. But for, for us living and growing up in America, the internet does kind of revolve around America. Less so now than before, but just in subtle cultural ways. So what, what's interesting to me is we are seeing a, a direct result of not, maybe not even direct, an indirect result of what happens when you change these policies. Now people say that this will happen, but then you're like, no. So you, you say if you make immigration harder, you're going to hurt the economy because they, people coming to your country helps build the economy. And, and you're like, no, it's keeping out the undesirable people. We don't want them here. And then you see like a direct result here. Like people are just not developing what we believe is the next wave of technology here because we've got somebody who's telling them we don't want them here. And, uh, they, you know, the, the regulatory uncertainty is another thing. Like we move a little bit too slow for this. There are a lot of countries that are like, come here. We, we want you here. We're going to pay you to come to our country because we see this as a legitimate new future for the world. And we're, it, it sucks to be lagging behind that. When, it, you know, when you tell, when people come up to you and they're like, oh, America's still the greatest country in the world. Come on, man. Like, we need to, we need to get our shit together a little bit with this stuff. And you can see the result here. A hundred percent, Brent. I couldn't agree with you more. And this has even been studying socially from the other angle. There's a phenomenon called brain drain, which is something that a lot of third world countries experience because some of their best human capital in, in uh, their quest for better opportunities end up fleeing the country and going to countries that have better financial opportunities. So again, if you're a very bright mind growing up in South America or Asia or Africa, and you have an opportunity to go to America or Europe, why wouldn't you take it, right? So a lot of those countries were actually suffering from the fact that they're losing some of their best human capital. 
And the United States and Europe were benefiting for that and have benefited for that. These are uh, populations that have historically welcomed immigrant populations in different ways. So yes, this is, I think, terrible because you're essentially closing the doors to a lot of that human capital and they're going to go somewhere else. There's other opportunities, you know? And now in this space, what these guys are saying, who are actually on top and running things, they're saying, look, people are going somewhere else. Like, it's just the world's going to move with or without us, right? <laughs> yeah, the incentives are there. Why would they exactly? It's a hundred percent right. Like we, we just, we just had James Duffy on the show. He's in Korea for a reason, you know. Like they're running an entire company over there, building the Loom Network because you know it's not easy to do it here. <laughs> yeah, they're, uh, we're. I think we're probably going to see more of that. And this is something that I really didn't think about, and now it just makes complete sense to me. Like this is one of those things when you look back on it in 10 years and you're like, why did America fall behind? Here you go. This is it. Uh, first thing, subtle brag about being one of Columbia's best and brightest, Kareem. Uh, number, <laughs> number two. <laughs> My parents uh, made that decision. I was just tagging along. Yeah. <laughs> um, I forgot what number two was. <laughs> <laughs> we we mostly wanted to jab at Kareem for, I wanted for to talking get, I about wanted how smart to get my joke in before I forgot it. <laughs> yeah, and then yeah, I had yeah. a real point. And I totally forgot it was that. worth it. It was a good point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. fair enough. <laughs> so next up, uh, Brent looks like you last second added something in here. Uh, what has Bitfy finally admitted? You're not going to believe this, Mike. But John, a John McAfee project didn't uh, didn't stand up to the criticism. I know this is really hard to believe, but the the BitFi or BitFee, however you want to call it, wallet has admitted defeat. They have said they are, in fact, hackable. And uh, does that mean that somebody got the 100000 because they were hackable? And that was what they said. If you could hack us, you would get $100,000. Oh, no, 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 no. We're not going to pay that out. That's just uh, you didn't hack us in the exact specific way that we were talking about. So. That's not that's not given we're not giving that to anybody. But we're going to hire a firm to come in and audit our security to make it a little bit better. That's basically what they did. And I, if you buy this wallet, I'm sorry, that's just not Did smart. they hire John McAfee LLC? Yeah. <laughs> no, Mike. It was John McAfee's friend LLC. God. Right. You have the worst intentions. <laughs> Assumptions, whatever. <laughs> What is his company called? Swinging hammocks with holes. Oh my goodness! (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Oh wait, the listeners don't even know about the hammocks. That was on cryptocurrency. I mean, if they've seen the if they've seen the documentary, they oh yeah, the documentary. Go watch the John McAfee documentary. All right, wait, Brett, how long are you at Creep's house? Uh, <laughs> should, should we? Watch I'll be there it? next. Like, I'll be there on then, Thursday or Wednesday next week. <laughs> he's leaving as soon as he's done long, recording but, the flagship. <laughs> All right, Brent, you want to go back down there when I when I drive down? <laughs> Documentary time. So we can, we'll get popcorn. We'll get beer. We'll smoke. Anyway, It'll be perfect. J- just to catch everybody up, uh, there's a documentary about John McAfee, and we've heard some crazy allegations. What's in there? And uh, I guess Mike had the fantastic idea that we're gonna watch it and just. <laughs> record some commentary or something i don't know <laughs> anyway thoughts we do like an mst 3k uh all right let's move on a little bit here uh kareem it's your turn to go down the craig wright rabbit hole for the week oh man this one is so bad um like oh boy i, I enjoyed yes. reading your your outline I, I i enjoyed it all right so 
I haven't read this. I'm coming in cold. Yeah, man, this is great. All right, so I, I'm titling this because this is what how I want you to perceive this story. Remember, Craig Wright claims to be Satoshi Nakamoto. So this whole thread is going to be called, What Would Satoshi Do? Because every step of the way we see that Craig Wright acts just like Satoshi would. Anyway, so <laughs> the author of this article um, on Medium starts off by saying that he got interested in uh, something called a proposed opcode that was from a Bitcoin ABC. So, of course, first question, what the hell is opcode? Because I don't know what that is. As a reminder, we are not coders. We're not financial advisors. Just a bunch of guys that, you know, go on the internet and stuff and read about this stuff. <laughs> so I had to go look up what's opcode. And apparently an opcode is the first byte of an instruction in machine language. And it's what actually tells the hardware what operation needs to be performed. Um, and remember that byte is the big one bit. There's eight bits in a byte. Um, but anyway... So he's interested in this code and what it can do. And apparently he says that it's used, it can be used by Bitcoin Cash to authenticate messages from trusted third parties. Like, for example, an order, uh, an oracle that is telling you the, an exchange rate. Like, for example, Bitcoin Cash to USD or Bitcoin to USD or something. But on Twitter, Craig Wright is, you know, tweets out, I had to go find the actual thread because he only linked to one tweet and I wanted to see the whole thing. Craig Wright tweets a lot, by the way. It took me forever to scroll down to August 26th. Jesus. <laughs> it was really like, I was just like, how many tweets a day, homeboy? Relax. Man, I thought oh, Trump also tweeted on a lot. Twitter, there's a tweets and then there's another section for tweets and replies. And replies, yeah. I was in so you weren't even in the replies? No, I was in replies. I was. I was oh, okay, okay. Fair enough. <laughs> so anyway, but he writes, if you hate patents, here is a reason to block DSV. Data, SIG, verify. That's the opcode or whatever. We have patents on this and related techniques pending. Add DSV and you hand the base protocol to us. I guess he's talking about the community saying that if they add this code to the base code that him and his company basically own it. And then he says, I'm not the one pushing to patent the base control. I'm saying it's a terrible idea. But if you insist on making something that we utterly control and then somebody says something like, oh, isn't this have issues? And he's like... Yes, DSV has many issues, but if it means we but it means we own the base protocol if it gets added. So make a choice. Add DSV, make me king. Not my choice. I don't want it. Again, just being kind of like total bully, you know, slightly psychopath, like, oh, I don't want it, but you're gonna make me king and I'm gonna own it. All right, so this guy decides to go look up the patent. <laughs> he said king. That's amazing. Yeah. He, this guy, the author of the article, decides to go look up the patent that Craig Wright posted on Twitter. And apparently, the, what the patent describes, and remember, it's a patent application. It's a patent pending. It's basically a description of Ethereum, but, it, but it's built as a second layer to Bitcoin. So I'm going to quote this directly from the, artic from the article. Quote, when I got to the claims, it became clear that the patent was extremely broad and covered a wide range of early blockchain applications, some of which predate the patent by over four years. So essentially, Craig Wright went around things that had been used and implemented in different blockchain projects and things and just tried to describe it all complicated in the patent. And he's just filing a bunch of applications. So this guy who worked in a specific project called P2Pool noticed that one of the things that the patent was trying to claim that it's patenting was already used and implemented in P2Pool. So 
since it predates it, it would be something called um, prior art in relation to patents. So he tweets at Craig Wright, specifically like citing, hey, I worked here and this would qualify as prior art because of this, 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 this. He gives like a super detailed thing. And of course, Craig Wright responds, quote, sorry, not close, end quote, and he blocked the guy on Twitter. <laughs> That's how you know, by the way, that, that, that Craig Wright is on the right side of this, right? This is acting exactly like Satoshi. And then here's the worst part. The guy goes on to dig even deeper and somebody on Reddit found out that the ISA had already issued its opinion on the patent and said that it should be declined, that it was completely not applicable. So when Craig Wright was saying this on Twitter, he already knew that his patent wasn't accepted, that it was invalid. So he was using it to intimidate the public into not implementing the piece of code that he didn't want to implement by saying all this, do it and you make me king, using an invalid patent. And apparently, he has a bunch of patents on a bunch of stuff like this, and eventually one of them might get through. He is an official patent troll, on top of all the other shit we've talked about. Wow. Jeez. What is the ISA that rejected his patent? It's the International Search Authority or something, and I don't think they're the ones that reject it, but I I believe it's a body that inspects the patent and gives a recommendation. Um, but I really don't know all the details, so I don't want to put my foot where my mouth is. Like, think about how difficult it's going to be for a patent office to truly give an opinion on this. Like, we're in the upper 1% of crypto people in the world, and we w- I wouldn't even know where to begin with, you know, studying something like this. No, I mean, this would be like the actual, like the lawyers and stuff, this would be fought. But I, the guy, in part, what this guy was saying was, if you actually go through the patent, it was full of shit. Like he was just using big words to describe things that are super basic, that are used all the time. He's basically just describing a, a dap, but he then gets to use that application to throw his weight around and intimidate people and, and seem official and get to direct the direction. And here's... I just wanted to put this on here because I really, I was trying to think of what to call it. And all I could think of is like psycho bullshit. Like he, he's psycho. His Twitter handle is at Professor Faustus, like P-R-O-F, Professor Faustus. The story of Faustus is the story of a guy who sells his soul to the devil in exchange for money and power. And look, this is a quote from <laughs> Wikipedia, like the straight up quote, ready? Faust and the adjective Faustian imply a situation in which an ambitious person surrenders moral integrity in order to achieve power and success. This is the Twitter handle that he gave himself. <laughs> like, I, like, I don't know, bro. I feel like, I mean, I guess it's better to be a petrol than a serial killer, but it almost feels like the same type of brain state. <laughs> That's like you find out that somebody who who shot up a school, and now this is not very sensitive, but their name was like at school shooter three. No, <laughs> yeah, just... you look back and you're like, oh, should have saw that oh, one coming. Shut up a school, yeah. no way. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, uh, that that's how you choose to identify with the world, a story about a guy who sells his soul to the devil in exchange for power. And you're lying about being Satoshi, and you're a patent troll in the blockchain space. I remember space. some of my weirdest screen names, like, always came from, like, like when I was really young, and there were, like, characters that I liked and stories that I liked. Like, this makes, yeah. like, this gets super weird. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, one of my emails had yeah, shows... C for Dragon Ball Z. Ah, that's right. Nice. <laughs> My screen name for the longest time was Sexy Stud Thing, and that is like how 
I perceived myself then when I made it and still do now, but I've just gotten a little bit more professional with my emails. He forgot to get professional. He's always, that's not a big deal. Except that. Um, Except that this is seems like this is his idol, maybe. Yeah, that like, is really funny. You know, I, there's an old saying that when somebody tells you who they are, believe them. And this is just, yep. <laughs> I think this does like so much more damage to my opinion of him than even before. Like, in a lot of ways, like I was having trouble fully like picking a side. I was mostly like against Craig Wright for sure, but I wasn't close enough to the situation. And, and, you know, we're like telling third hand stories and, you know, I wanted to leave that door open just a tiny bit. Just the skeptic in me can't be too certain about anything, but it's just getting so hard to even give this guy the benefit of the doubt. This is like an outrageous story. Yeah. Like, dude, the number one thing that makes me no longer take somebody's position really into much consideration is malice. Like, there's so much that I I completely, like, can put myself in somebody else's shoes and say, okay, I don't agree with you, but I understand. If you're being genuine about your position, there's, like, something for me to hold on to, right? We're just both two people trying to figure things out. But once you have, like, malice, deceit, uh, you know, like, somebody's clearly trying to get one over on everybody else, I have no time for that. Craig Wright has shown malice multiple times. He's a liar. And nobody got time for that. He's a fraud. Yeah, 100%. And good on Vitalik for continuing to shit on him every time he gets a chance. Who in the crypto space still, like, believes in this guy? (laughs) Well, I mean... Like, even Bitcoin Cash community is, like, against him at this point, right? Like, they were the only ones that kind of, like, were tolerating him. Oh, are they against him now? I don't really follow, like... Yeah, yeah, because all this, he's, like, trying to make his own coin. Like he basically the reason all this is a thing is he's trying to like get control of Bitcoin Cash and they were like nah fuck off nice and like kind of and he's making like a he's forking again and it, I I haven't delved deep into that drama but like I think he even the the Bitcoin Cash community who had to kind of adopt him because like Roger Ver like they they're not even cool with him anymore so you know and and Roger is is uh, at least a well spoken idiot. <laughs> to, you know for the most part until he like finally shows you that like part of him where he's like i'm rich and you're not so nothing you say matters like when he speaks he sounds fine until he gets to like the parts where he, he goes off the but craig Wright doesn't even get there he just goes starts yelling at people at conferences telling them if you don't have what you guys don't want me here you want me or this guy me or this guy you tell me <laughs> and then he ends up walking out because they're like we want that guy <laughs> terrible all right let's move on to this next story here and the title kind of concerned me a little bit because it seemed very against what we stand for as a as a podcast. Open quote, 16 predictions for the price of Bitcoin from industry experts, end quote. Kareem, I'm very interested to see what you have to say about this. Yeah, I just think that these guys are experts and they're telling us what the price is going to be. So take out your notepads and, you know, let's write it. <laughs> no, listen, obviously. Crypto basic talks pricing. Here yeah. we go. <laughs> No, I was reading the article. It was more like a fun exercise for me, you know, to like read it and laugh at certain little things. Right off the bat, I love the opening sentence, right? Under the title, this is the first thing that the author says, quote, knowing the Bitcoin exchange rate for 2019 will allow you to plan investments in cryptocurrency and extract maximum profit. Oh, really? Yes, you're right. You're right. (laughs) What an amazing insight. (laughs) Knowing the future would help my investments. That's a great opening sentence. (laughs) Fantastic. What else you got for me? <laughs> so, 
Anyway, the guy asked 16 people, quote-unquote, experts. And the idea was, what do they think that the price of Bitcoin is going to be by January of 2019? So apparently, out of the 16, the average response was $21,000. The range, the lowest, was 7700 while the biggest person said 150000 by January of 2019. Come on. Yeah. All right. So did he bet his dick on it? All right. No, no, he did not, Brent. One thing that I just went and checked just because, you know, I'm, I'm a man of, of numbers and facts. This guy published this article yesterday. Yeah. Like, I was just hoping that this was like, you know, six months old or like three months old and maybe it's something else was added and we're just catching a little more attention. No, some guy just posted this yesterday and that these these interviews are quote, supposedly recent. Yeah. Well, I'll I'll get to that guy specifically. Okay. So, but right. that that's part of the point, though, is to sometimes like look at this and see the ridiculousness, especially you know when somebody's basically claiming to talk about the future, you know. But anyway, no no surprise here, by the way. Not a single one of the experts guessed that Bitcoin would be lower in price than it is today. So everybody guessed higher price. And I went through the 16 and I just picked a couple of highlights. We're not going to do a bunch. I just picked three just to highlight different points. The first one was Gabriel Shaw. And how is he an expert? Well, he's the head of marketing at Bitcoin.com. So again, <laughs> just put into context, wow. why is somebody an expert? <clears throat> oh, because they're the head of marketing at Bitcoin.com. Okay, fair enough. So this person has more insight into the price of Bitcoin in the future. And then his guess was, <laughs> he says, as a hobbyist trader and self-proclaimed market psychologist, my best guess at Bitcoin price by January is way up due to strong market forces and price chart patterns. A breakout appears to be imminent, and it will be a very strong bull run. Ten thousand five hundred. Again. Ooh, did he notice the dragon pattern? Did he notice the dragon pattern? Exactly. So self-proclaimed market psychologist, and you know things are on the breakout and things are going up. All right. Then we had a financial expert. This was the guy that predicted one hundred and fifty k, Mike. And he specifically says, I predicted 150K at the beginning of the year, and I'm sticking with it. <laughs> and in his reasoning, something big will happen that will cause price to skyrocket again. So, <laughs> <laughs> Wow, that's some poignant analysis yes. there. Nah, you know what? A lot of stuff's happened in the last nine months, but I'm sticking with my guns. And lastly... For reasons. I, I thought this one was fun because this guy is... Um, here in South Florida, apparently, uh, from a Miami-based company. And this is one of the guys that's looking at more from like the facts and fake numbers, right? So he said, using a very conservative and reasonable framework, it's easy to see that Bitcoin is currently undervalued relative to its historical average. Bitcoin typically trades in a range of about 1.3 to 1.75 times its 200-day moving average. 9,420 within the next four to five months is easy to achieve when Bitcoin reverts to a 1.25 200-day moving average. So that one's not so funny. That one I wanted to put in there to show the different methodologies. And like some people are literally just pulling a number out of their ass. And this guy is at least sticking to metrics. Whether or not his metrics are right and he could predict future movements is a different discussion. But I guess what I thought was interesting about this article in general is just to, you know, we're always very skeptical of guidelines. This could be anybody writing an article and self-proclaimed experts are everywhere. Look, 
it's not lost in us that we're just a bunch of guys doing a podcast, but anybody can do a podcast. Anybody can do a blog. Anybody can do a YouTube video. Well, you should be skeptical as of people that claim expertise in fields that they don't necessarily really have expertise on. Just like participating in a field doesn't make you an expert. Like, and nobody can predict the future. Yeah. All of that is very, very accurate. We tweeted out this week that we wanted one specific question answered. And if anyone could answer this with any reasonable guess, we'd have them on the show so we could talk about it more. Which is, what do you think makes you more qualified to look at the chart and try to find patterns than a computer? And and why are you therefore better at doing that than an algorithm could be? And we didn't get a good answer that we got like uh, emotions, like we don't understand emotions. Um, and we did get like the self-fulfilling prophecy answer. But like the uh, the end result is I can't come up with a good reason that that technical analysis would work in the way that people are thinking it works and <clears throat> thinking you can make money in an up or down market. I mean, you can you can get lucky, but. Anyway, just be very careful out there who you're taking your advice from. I Again, we don't believe that anyone who actually knows what's happening in the future will be giving it to you for free on YouTube. Uh, there is a guy that I watched his like YouTube video, though. Uh, it was it was on. Uh, let me. I'm going to pull up Reddit right now and tell you what this was because it was fucking. Are hilarious. you talking about it the guy? Funny. The, the guy that's like, like uglier than your mama in a whatever. That, yeah, that's that hilarious. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. Well, just yeah, post that link in the show notes. That way, people don't have to just hear you and find it. Yeah, it was uh, it it, it was like Bitcoin bulls or something bull. I don't know. I'll I'll figure out what this is and it'll be in the show notes. But the guy was absolutely hilarious. No, yeah, he is I really was, funny. Uh, it's I it's like it. kind of like ironic TA or something. Uh, and Brent, just real quick, a mini tangent, but I just wanted to say that I don't even buy the argument of the self fulfilling prophecy. In response to your specific point about what makes you better than a computer algorithm, because even if you buy into the hypothesis of the self-fulfilling uh, prophecy, I'd still think a computer algorithm would be more efficient. You just do surveys, how many people practice TA, you try to get kind of like an idea of how prevalent it is. And then whenever there's an expectation, an algorithm would probably be better at saying, oh, this is how many people believe that this is a price floor, and it would probably be better at predicting the level of resistance. I'm sorry, bro. This, that's just not one thing that a uh, a computer wouldn't be able to do better than us. It's your argument still stands. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, you're right. Actually, Bitcoin Bear Gang is the name of this guy, by the way. Oh there yeah, Bitcoin go. Bear. Yeah, he was really funny. I said bull. Obviously, he's not a bull. He's he just he's been putting out all these videos doing the same thing apparently, and this was just really funny. Anyway, check it out. It's in the show notes. So if you guys go check out this article that Cream uh, covered, there's a really cool picture of the last supper bitcoin style it and i was slightly disappointed that there was only 13 people in here i was hoping it was 16 and it was each of them represented one of the people in the story that's not the case however uh, i would recommend checking that out it's a really cool little little picture um as far as my response to the story i'll be the first to admit when we first got into this, especially super early in the podcast, we thought we knew a lot more, or I thought I knew a lot more than I did, or I thought I was a little more confident than I am now. And anybody that's telling you that they strongly believe which directions the price is going, they're lying to themselves more than they're lying to you. What is the price of Bitcoin by January 1st? I don't know. It could be 4000 It could be 12000 It could be anywhere in between. And that's a huge range. If you aren't willing to accept that things can still go down, then you're not looking at your investments properly. Yep. Yep. We, like we've said before, we think that 
looking back in five years, it'll be a, an amazing bull run. Like if you look back five years ago at Bitcoin, it looks like a flat line all the way up, but there were tons of ups and downs and crashes in between. But but what we can't tell you is when that's going to happen, if it's going to happen. We'll we'll be able to observe it in the in the past, but figuring out in the in the present when it's going to happen is just crazy. And and then lastly, take this lesson and extrapolate it to other areas of your life when you're encountering journalism, right? Like let's say like you've now gotten more involved in crypto or whatever and you start seeing how headlines and articles aren't really representative of reality and you could take that into science headlines health headlines uh you know financial economic political it's also about how to process information in our current world where anybody can be a self-proclaimed expert on anything yes i tweeted out a link to a a, a cool little quiz and i don't like taking online quizzes but what this quiz did was it told you the result of a study and then it said what uh, with what certainty do you think they were able to replicate this study? Were they able to replicate this study after getting these results again, or were these results unique and unable to be replicated? And you realize that even with a factual study coming to a conclusion, you still don't know if that conclusion can be reached again. Like I think uh, it wasn't one of them, but the vitamin C thing where people say vitamin C prevents colds or whatever the case. That was like one study that was never able to be replicated. And and it was actually intentionally misleading, right? Yeah, like that, the, that one, um, yeah. But that's the thing. Like, studies are hard to form. Science is actually very difficult to do. It's something that people don't realize. And you could have all kinds of problems along the way. For example, whoever funds their study can be looking for a specific result, obviously. Or they can select the scientists that are going to be funded specifically because of their views. But then even after like you separate from the funding, you could have all kinds of problems when you're trying to form a study based on, is it correct double blind study? Did you accidentally do P hacking? Are you looking at the right variables? Did you take the right precautions to make sure that there's just so much going on? That's why science is all about, can you replicate this? Can multiple people replicate this following the same procedure? Can we test your hypothesis? Um, so yeah, hundred percent. We have to be skeptical of, cause I'm, you know, like, Articles don't follow that trend. Again, anybody can claim anything. Just as like a, a side comment, though, don't you feel like that is what is most one of the most exciting things about crypto is the ability to exchange proven information between like academic circles that are going to be able to test further hypothesis in many different ways. I feel like that's one of the um, one of the next thirty years, like one of the more interesting uses for crypto, in my opinion. So I think that cryptocurrency will definitely play a role in making communication more efficient and in, for example, showing what the original results were. But it's not going to solve the question of is the information right or not? Because at the end of the day, yeah, blockchain can preserve information and, and prove to you that it when it was put there and that it hasn't been edited. But somebody still has to input that information. Somebody still has to do the science. They I'm can not still saying it's going to remove the scientific process, but I think it's going to assist it. Oh, for sure. Crypto is going to assist the scientific process. No question about it. And as a matter of fact, our next story is kind of connected to that. All right. Let's move on to crypto around the world. All right, Kareem, it looks like a Taiwanese hospital is applying blockchain technology. What's going on here? Yeah, I just want to give a little shout out again to uh, our uh, 
story getter, my sister, who sent me this story again. She sent us the <laughs> Apple one. So thank you. Thank you. Official crypto basic contributor. Yes, Brent, you can say hi to my sister. Hi, cream sister. <laughs> so a Taiwanese hospital launched a blockchain project. It's Taipei Medical University Hospital. And basically, they introduced a platform for record keeping, which is something that we've seen a lot of these projects talk about trying to do. Well, basically, there are, these guys are actually launching one internally. More than 100 community-based clinics were collaborating in the project, and it w- is focused on addressing what they call the common pain points of healthcare, at least for them, and specifically the physician referral process, transferring of data between medical institutions, and also personal patients for portals where you can access your own medical data securely and safely. And uh, this is a quote from the article on the platform. People have a complete set of all their medical records, including high-resolution medical images, lab results, and clinical and health exam information. And then the hospital superintendent uh, noted that blockchain isn't just really good in the sense that it's going to combine electronic medical records, but that it also adds an additional layer of security since people are always notified and have to grant consent to have their data accessed. So this is really cool. It's the implementation we've been talking about, guys, in the real world. Yeah, what I like about this is that, you know, we we spent we spent some time earlier discussing how slow, you know, larger countries like America are going to move on blockchain and, and it's a prime example. I don't know what percentage of the hospitals in um Taipei are, you know, this hundred represents, but I guarantee it's a significantly more percentage than anywhere else that's in a larger country. So, you know, it's, it's one thing to get a hundred networks together and say, okay, we're all on the same page. We're all in agreement. It's another thing to get, you know, a hundred thousand of them, you know, together. So, you know, this is likely going to have to start in the state level in the U.S. And I think that, you know, it's really encouraging to see, you know, these topics from crypto around the world and how quickly these smaller nations are able to say, yeah, this is really useful technology and we're going to benefit quite a bit from it. We're not even particularly good at putting medical records in the cloud right now, much less blockchain and crypto. Like the the U.S. medical system is really ass backwards. Careful now. Don't send me on a rant. Hold me back, boys. Hold me back. (laughs) (laughs) Ramsey, let him go. Let him go. That's Ramsey's. Ramsey is the one that's Cuba. Is is your dog six letters in the name? Ramsey's after the pharaoh. Hmm. That's why he's got that feisty personality. (laughs) Any more comments on this Taiwanese hospital? No. Cool stuff, though, right? Proof of concept. And and by the way, might even help in other areas in the U.S. or whatever. Like, let's say this plays out for two years. Now, somebody's trying to get it to a state level. If this has been working, that definitely plays a role because you could you could bring it to the people and be like, oh, look, they've been doing this in Taiwan. They've done it for two years. It reduced cost. It improved blah, blah, blah. They did satisfaction service. People are happy with Boom. All of a sudden, it's one less domino to, to tumble. So good luck, Taiwan. We're with you. Looks like we got something added to the rant section. That's just a link, I think. No, no, that's... Uh- uh, I put that in there to to remember to put that in the show notes. That's the right. bi- the Bitcoin bear gang. <laughs> Cancel that. Anything uh, in the mailbag? Um, I'm I'm actually checking that right now. I don't think we did. A lot of this was for Anthony. Yeah. So we did have a mailbag question from Degenerate Brahmin, but I didn't have a chance to read up on it. So we're addressing it next week. So just so you know that your question's not getting ignored, but saving it for next week. Uh, Potato did ask us. I don't know um, if we we didn't ever cover this question for Potato. He said. Uh, Go into detail about how each of you got into cryptocurrency, 
what your initial thoughts and hesitations were, maybe even go into detail about the inception of the podcast. So I believe you guys had been talking about it way before I got involved. So if you guys want to start with your early introductions. Uh, I mean, I can tell you about my introduction into uh, into like the real deep dive into cryptocurrency. My first foray into cryptocurrency was a long time ago. I started to find out what Bitcoin was. I tried to sell my magic cards for Bitcoin in like 2013, I think. And nobody would buy it. Nobody would buy them with Bitcoin. And it was like $600 worth of magic cards at the time. So that would have been nice. Uh, but and then interestingly enough, I, I didn't stick with it because everybody I talked to said it was a scam and I didn't do my own research like an idiot. Right. So then finally, Kareem a couple years ago was like talking to me and he's like, no, dude, you should really be like in crypto. It's basically the future. He gives me like the, the, the speech. And so Kareem got me into it. And then I realized if Kareem is into this and Kareem is smarter than me and everybody else that I know that's smarter than me seems to be talking about this, maybe I should really give it a deep look. Uh, and maybe a few months later brought up the idea of the podcast to him. He told me, you know, go fuck yourself. No way. And then uh, and, and then finally, we brought up the same idea together as like the three of us and then for whatever reason, he changed his mind. So <laughs> I think Kareem's version of that's a tiny bit different. Not terribly different, though. <laughs> but it is a little bit different. It, what's funny is that Brent uh, mentions that I got him, I guess, back into crypto. But my earliest crypto memory is actually Brent in my apartment in Tampa years ago. I mean, a long time ago. Where he's just like, yeah, man, you got to look into this Bitcoin thing. And I'm like, Bitcoin thing? And then we have like the super superficial level one. It's like, yeah, it's like internet money or something. I'm just like, eh, sounds dumb. And then that was it. And then I didn't get back into cryptocurrency until um, years later, I guess, in when um, probably like 2015, towards the later half of 2015, I started researching it, um, bought some Bitcoin, and then I really got interested in like Neo and stuff like that. But when it comes to the podcast uh, yeah. Well, Brent originally wanted to just start a podcast, and we we're just throwing stuff around. Cryptocurrency was one of the ideas. We had a couple. You had a couple other ideas, um, and then it seemed like a lot of work, and I didn't know how serious you were. And then when you guys hit me up again, you also had one of our other friends. Uh, I'm not. I'm not going to mention their name because I don't know if they want it. But yeah, we we're considering our, four originally. There was going to be four of us, and I was just like, okay, so you know, I'm taking on like. Uh, a smaller chunk or here it seemed more manageable and i was hoping that the momentum of these guys would get me uh, going and i gotta say i don't regret it i mean it's been a really fun experience but i definitely wouldn't have started this podcast if it wasn't for mike and brent i i was kind of dragged into it you wanted to start your <laughs> own though privately right yeah Are eventually you considering that a history uh, one or eventually yeah it's more like a like a politics slash science yeah yeah, it, that, the funniest thing was Kareem had all the equipment. He had like the best mic, the best mixer, like all this stuff. And I'm like, what? And he's like, yeah, I bought it like six months ago to start a podcast and I never did it. <laughs> so that's why he, that's why he always sounds so much better than we do on the, uh, on the microphone. In addition to being more well spoken, he's got better oh, audio wow, equipment. Wow, you're being really so, sweet today, Brent. I don't yeah, know. What did I put in your coffee? This is the nicest you've been to me in a long time. Well, he's right next door. It's a little hard. Oh, to that's do, true. Nick. That's true. That's true. <laughs> um, so I'll give, Yo, bro, I'll give I'm my, I'm going to borrow like 10 grand. Is that? <laughs> 
Um, I'll, I'll go into my background real quick. I had a good friend who uh, lived in Mexico for online poker. Um, he was very involved in, you know, online communities, Reddit, 2 plus 2, etc. He had owned a lot of Bitcoin. And at one point in 2015, uh, he came back to, to the States for like six months and just needed some money. And he came over to the house and uh, my roommate and I sat down and kind of talked to him about it. And just I didn't understand what it was at all. I didn't understand any of the concepts. So we had all the basic conversations. Um, unfortunately, this friend of mine is 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 not the the best teacher. And um, he left a lot of my questions very unanswered. And because of that, he actually, he came over because we were considering buying it from that day. And at the time, I remember Bitcoin was in the 240 range. And he wanted to sell 40 of them to 20 each to my roommate and I. And I just kind of looked at him and was like, I mean, I don't even know why. I don't know why this is moving price. I don't know why this people are speculating on this. I couldn't get any of my basic questions answered. So obviously I passed on that. And, and what that did was it left a big enough, uh, you know, seed in my mind to say like, well, I'm going to keep an eye on this. Cause like this guy probably knows how to ask the right people the right questions, but he's not smart enough to explain it to me personally. So I ended up kind of getting on Coinbase and I kind of started doing my own research. And before I knew it, I, I had owned some of the Coinbase three at the time and, you know, some late night conversations with Kareem and Brent, uh, in the fall of 17, was my real beginning into like what all this really means. By the way, I, I like, Mike's like, yeah, I decided I'm going to keep an eye on it and it's 20K. <laughs> That's basically it. <laughs> <having> all those. <laughs> and obviously that, you know, last winter was very fun and stressful at the same time. And, you know, that's, I, I just don't see any like swings of that magnitude again. It just, it just seems un- so unrealistic. Oh, I, I don't know. I don't know, man. I still I, obviously see some I'm hopeful. Massive I'm very hopeful, but I just don't I just don't see how it can surge so much in such a short period of time again. My man, this we're in uncharted waters and the storms are brewing, but the horizon yields land. Stay the course, homie. If you can't see it, what you need to do is pull up a chart, draw some lines, <laughs> put some connectors between lines. Oh, so charts are a treasure map. It. Yes. Oh, yes. I get it now. Exactly. It's more like That's a map of the stars the so that you know what constellation mm. and then that way you know which way it's going to go, right, Brent? Astrological orgies, Mike. <laughs> I knew I should have I knew I should study my astrological signs if, more. If you knew that Venus was going to set over Saturn in the Sagittarius quadrant, then you would have known that Bitcoin was going to fall, Mike. Get your shit together, son. Duh. Who doesn't know that? Unbelievable. All right, guys, anything else we want to add to the end here? No, I think that's going to wrap it up. We're already rambling. All right, sounds good. That's going to do it for the Crypto Basic Podcast. My name was Mike. I was here with Brent and Kareem. Thanks again for tuning in. The members of the Crypto Basic Podcast are not financial advisors. They're not astrological advisors, and they're just a bunch of idiots. Not experts, but they are all having a good time. Bye-bye.